just a moment now for a word of prayer. While we have our heads bowed, I wonder if there be any here that would have a special request or like to be made known by an uplifted hand. The Lord sees these things, I'm sure, trusting He will grant it. Our Heavenly Father, we have assembled this morning for no other purpose than to magnify the name of our Lord Jesus. And we thank Thee that we already have felt His presence, and we are sure that He meets with us because it's His promise that wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, I'll be in their midst. Now we would ask Your blessings, Lord, upon all these requests today. It's been known now by lifting up of the hands. You know what was beneath that hand in the heart. And I pray that you'll answer each and every one. We thank you today for the opportunity to worship thee. We thank thee for our church and for our people and for brethren of like precious faith. And now we ask that you'll give to us the desires of our heart today, that is, to serve you. Feed us with that hidden manna that you said in the Bible was given, laid back just for the priesthood only. And we are taught that we are priests of God, offering spiritual sacrifice, that is, the fruits of our lips, giving praise to his name. Now we pray that you'll bless us in the further part of the service, breaking the bread of life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm glad to see our big family back again this morning. And happy to be here with you. And to the strangers that are sojourning in different parts of the country that gather in with us on Sunday morning, is sure we have no denomination. And we just gather the people that believe in God, gather together to worship the Lord together and offer our prayers to God, make our confessions to Him. And each Sunday and each day, we go through a purgatory that is purging our souls by His Holy Spirit from our sins. 
trying to live as godly as we know how in this present age, looking for His appearing at any time. And we are looking for that at any time. Now, we have a, a big program today. We have our Sunday school services here this morning, and then tonight we have a, a very special program tonight. My good friend, Brother Joseph Bozain, which he's no stranger here with us, but I believe it's about the first time he ever visited us in the church. It's, uh, I always had two churches of the entire world that I've traveled that I always call model churches. And one of those were Brother Joseph Bose, the Philadelphian church in Chicago, Illinois, and the other one was Brother Jack Moore in Shreveport, Louisiana. I was at those churches so much that when I come home from the missionary trips, someone say, don't call Jeffersonville, get Brother Bram, just call up Chicago. If he's not there, well, then call down Shreveport. I was there so much. Joseph has left Chicago. It broke our hearts at first when we thought he was have to leave Chicago, but after prayer we found it was God giving him a call. And this little friend of mine has now blazed out into a great work in Tanganyika and uh, Kenya and Uganda. Uganda, and he is doing a great work. And uh, we feel to help support him in every way that we can in these meetings. And I'm planning, if it be God's will, in this coming January, to be with him in his schools throughout the Africa there as we go on into South Africa from his schools. And um, I, he will tell you more about it tonight in his address to the church. He'll be speaking this, this afternoon about, I guess, about 8 o'clock as soon as the preliminaries are over. And then he has a film that uh, you'll be happy to see, I'm sure. And that film is of his schools in Africa and what the Lord has done for him just in a short few years. It's very encouraging to me to show what, to see the film because it shows what God can do with one person that will find his will in place after waiting for years to find it, then walking in the way that God directed him. Bring the children along. If first part of it is... a. Uh, very little part, as you know, Joseph, many of you, has quite a sense of humor, and I guess he thought I'd be looking at this picture, so he goes out one night and won't take a picture of a lion. In Africa there, there's plenty of lions. So Joseph goes out and takes a lion, and I thought it was the cutest thing after the mothers had made the kill and had eaten the, the animal. She was pulling the skin off, and her little baby cub followed along behind, trying to act like he was trying to re-kill it again. And, see, and I'm sure the young folks will enjoy about, I suppose, five or ten minutes of that at the first of the film. Now, come early. And uh, I've not been asked to say this. I don't want to say it. Joseph knows nothing about it. But I think tonight we're going to uh, show our appreciation to Brother Joseph by giving him an offering to his missions for overseas. We believe that the Lord Jesus is coming. Amen. And, uh, and if you've been saving a little mission offering or something for the missionaries or something you'd like to, a contribution to that, make your check out to Joseph B-O-Z-E for tonight. B-O-Z-E, that's right, isn't it? Joseph Bose. And it's, I know Brother Joseph as my bosom personal friend and knows it'll go for the kingdom of God, the best of his knowledge to it. 
And um, so before we go farther, I would like to introduce and let him just have a word here. I tried to get him to take the morning service, and he wouldn't do it. So he will speak to us tonight at 8 o'clock for what time he cares, and the camera will be set up in the screen here for the picture. But right now, I would just like to say to the church and introduce the church, my good friend and brother, Joseph Bose. Brother Bose. Thank you, Brother Branham. And uh, good morning, everybody. It sure is a great pleasure to see all of you this morning and to uh, worship here uh, in the Branham Tabernacle and st stand behind God. That's where the secret to their success is. God bless you. Real good. It was a great pleasure to be with you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Joseph. That's very nice. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is the Sweden Ireland together. <laughs> God bless you. Amen. Thank you for your compliments, Brother Joseph. It's, um, I can say the same about him. So thankful to the Lord for his great work going on in Africa. And he'll tell you more about it tonight. And now, I believe Billy slipped out and told me to have Brother Neville or somebody on the, uh, the acoustics that's not too good in the back. Or maybe, Can you hear back there all right? No, you don't hear very good, but you uh, adjust the uh, machine. And I believe while we're waiting for him to do that, I believe my niece... Donna has uh, got a little, her and Teddy's got a little fellow here they want dedicated to the Lord. And so, Donna, if you'll bring this little fellow now, uh, and let's see, where's the sister at the piano, um, the player? Is she present? This one here? Oh, that's your That'll be fine. All right. I had them um, as uh, in the wrong place. I think it was me that was in the wrong place. Now we have a little song that we usually sing about this time for the little fellas. That is, bring them in. Bring the little ones to Jesus. Now in the many churches sprinkle these little fellas, and uh, that's all right. If they want to do that, that's strictly all right, as far as I am concerned. And um, others have ways that they, uh, maybe that they call that baptism. And if they want to call that baptism, that's all right as far as I'm concerned. But the Scriptures is what we try to follow just the way the Bible says it. Just keep just in the Scripture. There's no place in the Bible, in the New Testament, but what they brought little children to Jesus, and he blessed them and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's the way we do it. The pastor and I stand there, takes the little one, and offers prayer of dedication to the Lord. And then when we feel that a baby has no sin, no more than its sin that it was born in. We're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, come to the world speaking lies. And now when Jesus died at Calvary, he took away the sins of the world. Then the baby could have been born, or might have died before it was born, or born before it comes to the age of accountability. It has no sins. Jesus took away the sins of the world. But after it gets old enough and commits sin, 
Then it's got to confess its sins and then be baptized for the remission of its sins, you see. But now, of course, it's too young. Now, let's all sing this good old hymn that we sing now. I don't know if I can eat or not. So respect them. And they talk maybe slow and long time and maybe things that you don't want to hear. But remember, you may get old too someday. So just 
always respect him. And them little fellows who could mistreat one of those. By the way, you should never do that. You know, Jesus said, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For their angels always behold my Father's face, which is in heaven. Remember, they have an angel. When you're born, it stays with you all through life. And now, then when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit then. And it guides you and directs you. And now, I'm looking around over the audience to see ones that I know. And if I'm not mistaken, I see a sister from Chicago out here. That makes you feel kind of home to be represented in Chicago, Sister Peckinpah, and all those along the way there. We're happy this morning to see uh, Brother and Sister Cockshire and Charlie and Nellie as we know them. And Rodney's here somewhere, I suppose, Sister Cox. And Brother Willard Crace, one of our minister brothers here. And so many different ones that I just couldn't hardly reach down to call them all. Glad to see Brother Evans and Sister Evans back there. That's the man I tell you a bit by the rattlesnake. And the Lord, would you just raise up your hand or something, Brother Evans, so they'd see him there that, that the... We was fishing, and the ground rattler bit him right into the leg and laid hands up on him and prayed for him, and it never even got sore and never had no more to do with it. And the Bible said, you know, they shall cast out devils, they shall tread on the heads of scorpions and serpents, and nothing shall harm them. And, and they're in my name, them that believe on me, what all the powers and what they would do, and so forth is given to us, and if you're just not afraid, what if somebody gave you a check and had a name signed at the bottom of it? If you carry that check in your pocket all your life, it, it won't do you no good. You've got to cash it. So every promise in the Bible has got Jesus' name signed at the bottom of it. The bank of heaven's responsible, and the deposit was put in on Calvary. When our sins were forgiven, we are made sons and daughters of God. And therefore, don't be afraid to cash in on any gift. That God promised, just remember, He promised it, and it's yours. Amen. I've seen stop the flames of fire, stop blood, quench the violence of, of the devil, and cast out enemies, and heal cancer, raise up the dead. When the doctors stand there, been dead for hours and hours, raised right back to life again. I've seen that in my little weak ministry in myself, time after time after time. So I've seen wild beasts tamed right down to the couldn't move and all things. So he's just, he's still God. He, if he ever was God, he's still God. And if he, if he never, and if he isn't God, he never was God. Because he'd have to be, uh, to be God, it'd have to be infinite. He knowed all things. It'd have to be omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipotent, all-present. You know, he's just God. The perfection of perfection is God. Now, I don't aim to... I, sometimes when I teach these Sunday school classes, well, it's about four classes. <laughs> here a few Sundays ago, I was here six hours. I'm no hoping to scare you. See, but I, I don't mean that this morning. Just five and a half. <laughs> 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 this, this, I may not be with you for a while now. We're going up to Virginia, or up to um, Carolina. And North and South Carolina, and then to the West Coast, and up the West Coast, and then to Canada and Alaska, and then back, and maybe the Lord willing, go over to Africa and see Joseph, and go down through into South Africa again, and had a great meeting not long ago in South Africa when it changed the whole course of Africa just in a few hours. When God, just in His miraculous, were front page newspapers packed the articles, whole 
first and second and third page, nothing but just articles on the meetings. First one in there, they just damp thumbs down. They wouldn't even have given a man gasoline because he's going to the meeting. Wouldn't sell it to him. Said anybody fanatic like that, and the next day was willing to give him the gasoline free. See, so uh, that's the difference. You see, um, something takes place. He's petting a little cub there, you know, and he said to him, "said Where are you going?" He said, "I'm going down to Johannesburg." Said, um, "Oh, you're a businessman." Said, "No, I'm going down to see Brother Brand in the meeting." Said, "What?" Said, "You look like more a brighter man than that." He said, "Well," said, "I'm a Christian. I'm going down to see it." He said, just drive somewhere else and get your gasoline. <laughs> and so the next day coming back, he's only stopped between there and the Transvaal, so he had to go up through there, and he stopped at the next station below that, and I got around and called him and said, come up here. <laughs> the papers, all front pages and second pages and so forth, full of it, what our Lord did. And so we're thankful for that. Now, just for a little gathering together, any of you along, got your friends out through, we'll be at the Cow Palace now. It's a great livestock, Western livestock exhibit. On the west coast at South Gate. So, some of you fellows like me that likes guns, I'm going through the Weatherby factory there. You go with me if you wish to, if you're around there. And so, um, they're going out into many places through the daytime. You go to Catalina Island, you know how it is. And you've, men, women with your little children, Disneyland. And he's one of the members of the group, too. So, just come right along. I know you'll have a good time. And above all, pray that God will open the eyes of unbelievers and will make converts to Christ. Now, we're going to read just a few words out of the Bible here because I like to do this. And then I have some scriptures written down here and here's some note that I'd like to teach on this morning for a few moments, remembering tonight's service. And then um, I'd like to tell you what else happened this week in the private interviews and so forth, but I don't have time, and I know some of them are sitting here this morning and still waiting on those interviews from out of town. We'll try to get to them this week, as quick, try to get everything that's waiting here anyhow on, uh, before we leave. Now, we want to turn in the Gospels to Mark 16, the 16th chapter of St. Mark, and my title today of this is The End Time Evangelism. And let's begin reading on Mark 16, about the 14th verse. And after he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of their hearts, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following a man. There's so much could be said on this. This is the last commission the Lord gave the church. I happen to look down here, and I'm trying to think, Brother West, I was trying to think of your name a few moments ago, sitting there from Georgia, and I just couldn't think what your name was just a few moments ago. The other brother sitting there, I can't think of his name. And so many of you understand, I'm not trying to cite knowing someone, but just a 
I don't get their names just so fixed up in my mind. Now, we are thinking of evangelism at the end time. And anyone that would, could read a newspaper and could read the skies black and darkening and the clouds coming up and, and know that we're fixing to have rain and feel it in the air and see the great streaks in a far distance and the flash and the pushing of the wind knows we're going to have a storm. It's going to be rain pretty soon. Anyone can read a newspaper and see the conditions of the nation, nations realize that something's fixing to happen. When you see one with a chip on his shoulder and the other of them arguing with all kinds of weapons and so forth to fight with and no agreement, kicking off their shoes and beating desks and everything at their conferences, you know something's fixing to happen. And that brings upon the people a uh, kind of a feeling that something's fixing to happen. The world, as we would call it, cosmos, the outside world, feels that there is a coming destruction of, uh, say, like a, a, an atomic age is fixing to blast forth. The Christian knows it's the coming of the Lord. See? There's an atmosphere. It depends on what you're looking at. For our Lord has strictly told us just what was going to happen at that time. And we don't know the minute or hour, but know that we are nearing something now. I was speaking here some time ago and watching a lamb one day in Africa out from a corral, and it was, uh, it was grazing very peacefully, and all at once it became nervous, and I wondered what was the matter with the little fella. And your sheep cannot find his way back wherever he come from. He's lost completely. That's the reason the Lord likens us unto sheep. See, when we're lost, there's only one thing can bring us back, the shepherd. And this little fellow was blading, and he wandered out from the corral, and I noticed in the grass way below, the little fellow could not see it, and a lamb or a sheep doesn't smell its enemy, uh, like the other, like a deer or something like that, but he, he could sense that death was near, and there was a lion come slipping up, coming easily. He could smell the sheep, so he was coming, see, to get the lamb. And the little fellow become nervous, and you couldn't see the reason why, but it was that death was lurking so near that he was nervous. And the, the world is such a, in a neurotic shape right now that they'll drive down the street 90 miles an hour to sit in a beer joint and drink two hours before they go home, and it's an onslaught of speak to someone, oh my, they blow up. I got speaking the other night at a tabernacle and about going to a hospital out here to try to take some of Brother Neville's calls. And uh, every time I speak to a nurse or a doctor, they slap you. I don't know nothing about it. Well, I don't know what's the matter. Everybody just letting off pressure, I guess. Uh, but the doctor, the psychiatrist, there's doctoring the psychiatrist. <laughs> so, but there is a way out. That's Christ. Now the Christians should not be in that condition. We should be happy, waiting for the coming, for it's close. We can feel the cooling breeze of Calvary. When we look down and see the God of heaven who made the promise, and the very things that Jesus did in his life, promise would return in the last days, and here we see it. What is that? That's a breath of that refreshing, like the rain coming. We know redemption is nigh. 
Something's fixing to take place. Now, the world doesn't see that. They laugh at it because, like they did in other days. But we know that it's coming near. And that's the reason I chose today this subject for my last for a while for the tabernacle uh, on end-time evangelism. And when we are doing mission work, our foreign mission, with the Word of God, we know we're always in the will of God because Jesus' first commission to his church was go out and preach the gospel. The last commission was to preach the gospel. The first time he ever ordained any persons to preach the word and go throughout the country, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils as freely as you have received, freely give. St. Matthew, the 10th chapter, sending out the 70, two by two. That was the first commission he gave to his church. Now, the last commission he gave to his church, just before he was received up into glory, he said, Go ye into all the world. He had just risen from the dead. And many of them were standing together, and he upbraided them of the hardness of their heart because of their unbelief that believed not them that had seen him after he was risen. See, they had a testimony that they seen the Lord. And the others didn't believe it. And he upbraided them because of the hardness of their heart. They didn't believe these people who had seen that he was not dead, he's alive. Same thing today. When you see his work. Now, we have already seen and are witnessing the appearing of the Lord. Now, remember, appearing and coming is two different words. To appear and then to come. Now is the appearing. He's already appeared in these last days. Right here with us in the last few years. Now, it's a sign of his coming. He's appearing in his church in the form of the Holy Spirit, showing that it's him because people cannot do these things that you see the Holy Spirit doing. So that's the appearing of the Lord. Now, remember, spoke both places, appearing and coming. Now, he upbraided them because of their hardness of heart, because they didn't believe those who had seen it. I believe you do the same thing today. After we, they, have, they didn't believe the testimony of those people. And he upbraided them for it. And then he commissioned them to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and uh, he'd be with them to the consummation, the end of the world. These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, today we try to take the written word we have in letter form, creed form, and so forth to all the world, and there's been missionaries going everywhere. But what do we find when we get there? A native that can't read his name holding a track in his hand. He knows no more about it than he does uh, which is right and left hand. But to, when Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, yeah. he never said, teach the word. He said, preach the gospel. And the gospel came not in word only, but through the manifestation of the word. For the only way that it could be done was to make his promise come to pass. Someone guy can read it. At, um, like in William Jennings Bryant, when he was debating with Darrell on the ethics of Darwin, see, he could only say what Darwin had said. And William Jennings Bryant could say what the Bible had said. That was the debate. But in this case, God comes among the people and proves that his word is made manifest. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is not by a tract, but by the Holy Spirit yeah. working through you. Your life becomes his life. 
He's in you. The heathens, when they worshipped the idol, they prostrated themselves before the idol and believed that the idol talked back to them that God, their God, turned come into this idol and spoke back to them. Now, that's just contrary, turned around what God is. God doesn't deal with idols. You are His instrument. You prostrate yourself before God and He comes in you and speaks out to the people. That's the difference. He's a living God for a living person, not a dead God to a dead idol. He's a living God to a living being. And you become His witnesses. What He said here. That's the, now notice, many people says that that was just for the apostles. He said here, go ye into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature and conjunction these signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Now today we say a good church member shakes hands with the pastor, puts his name from the Methodist to the Baptist or Baptist to the Methodist or so forth, and lives a pretty good life. Now we missionaries. We see those heathens live life that these American so-called Christians couldn't compare with by no means. So if just a good life's all they count, they're saved the same as the rest of them by an idol. Their morals are smother over so we wouldn't have a chance to stand their presence. That's right. And their act. But that's not it. Jesus said you must be born again. In order to be born again, it's letting yourself go and die. And the Spirit of Christ come into you, then you're no more yours. It's Christ in you. See? The Holy Spirit. Paul said, I die daily, yet I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. See? Christ. And if I told you the Spirit of John Dillinger's in me, I'd have guns here and be an outlaw because that would be his, his spirit in me. If I told you the spirit of an artist, you'd expect me to paint the picture of an artist. If I tell you I am a Christian and the spirit of Christ is in me or in you, then we do the works of Christ. Jesus said in St. John, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Then he said here, These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, through the age, there has been a time that these signs has not followed believers. <clears throat> That's right. The prophet spoke of it, and he spoke of it over in Zechariah. He said there would come a time that could not be called day nor night, but in the evening time it shall be light. Now, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. It doesn't change. It's the same sun. Now, when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus the Son of God, He come in the East on the Eastern people. It's been a day as His travel, as civilization has traveled with the Sun coming from the East to the West, and now we're at the West Coast. If we go any further, we're back East. So well, everything denotes it's coming. We're at the end time. Everything shows that it's all over. Now, now the prophet said, and no prophecy can be should be privately interpreted as Jesus said. It's just exactly what it says. It shall be light in the evening. Then the same sun that come upon the eastern people and showed his works and his blessings, it was prophesied that there would be a dismal day, neither day nor night. That's a gloomy day. That's like hazy. And you can't see the sun, but the sun yet gives enough light, something like it is out there now, maybe a little darker. We've had enough to join church and put our name on the books and so forth. But in the evening time, that same great power of Christ would come upon His church just like it did back there on the eastern. In the western, it would be the same. So that's why I want to speak on evening time evangelism. 
Each age has had its message and its messengers. All through the time, every age has packed its message with a messenger. God, in every dispensation, has sent forth someone anointed with the Holy Spirit to bring forth his message for that age, every time. Now, we can start back to back it up just a little bit. Even from the beginning, God was the messenger at the beginning to tell Adam and Eve, you shall eat this, but you shall not do this. That was the message. And when man stepped across the message of the hour, it brought death and chaos to the whole human race. Now, that's how much the message means. And remember that it wasn't just a complete blank denial of what God said that he believed. It was taking what God said and whitewashing it over or, or just misconstruing it a little bit, just uh, adding a little bit to it or taking a little bit away from it. That's the reason I believe that the Word is the truth. If our creed and our denominations doesn't come completely with the Word, then it's wrong. And if God would not permit, and His Word was so important to just misquote one word of it, cause all, every death that ever happened, ever suffering, ever crying baby, ever funeral procession, ever grave on the hillside, ever ambulance that ever screamed, ever blood that was ever shed, all the old age and starvation and trouble that we've had just because God's Word was miscalculated caused all of this, will He excuse it at the end time if we miscalculate it again? So you see, Christianity is an important thing. If it's cost all this 6,000 years of trouble because of one word being misused, now, we're not going back with one other word misused. It's got to be exactly with the Word, with nobody's interpretation, just what the Word says. So many men will get together and they say it means this, and they'll agree, and others will say this, but it says, this is it. If God is going to judge the world by the church, then which church is it? If He's going to judge it by a nation, which nation is it? He's going to judge the world by the Word, the Bible. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That was Christ was God's Word made flesh, spoken through human beings. Now, in the book of Revelation, he said, If any man will take one word out of here, or add one word to it, the same will be taking his part out of the book of life. So you see, it's not just, well, I believe this, but I don't know about that. You've got to believe it all. Maybe you haven't got faith to stand up to it. But don't try to stand in somebody else's way. I've often said, I wish I had faith when my life is over. So to go like Enoch, not die, but just take an afternoon walk and go home with God. I'd like to do that. But if I haven't got that kind of faith, I won't stand in somebody else's way that has that kind of faith. Now we're in the evening time. And the messengers down through the age, we find out that at the beginning when a messenger was sent to, to misconstrue his word or to doubt one word, 
It was total annihilation and eternal separation from God. To misconstrue that messenger's word. And the first messenger was God himself. And uh, every other messenger has been God speaking through man, since, which is God's word. For there's no man then for him to speak through, but just the one he was talking to. But since he's made man and redeemed man, it's been God speaking through man. He uses not the, the agency of, of any mechanical device, but the agency of man, a man that's surrendered and consecrated to God. How we could bring it down through the prophets and Samson and on down through to this very present age. There's always been an individual with God. Now, each age, I said, had its message and its messenger. Now, we take another age after the Eden age just to get a little background. Now, after the Eden age come the Noahic age. Now, when the world, we is, I was speaking the other night down at the Clarksville Tabernacle upon the subject of the end-time sign. Then the other night, Thursday night, on being identified with Jesus. And now this morning on the end-time evangelist, uh, evangelism. Pardon me. Now, just before the antediluvian destruction and the flood time, well, we find out that they had a greater civilization than we have today. I believe that they had control of atomic power. I think that's what shut the world from its orbit. I stood in the British ice fields, dig down 500 feet, bring out palms, where there used to be palms there, and many hundreds of years ago. And we're taught and know that the world stood upright. But, and they had such mechanical and such science till they could build a pyramid, sphinx, so forth, that we couldn't reproduce today. We have no machinery to lift those docks that far. Unless we'd be atomic. Gasoline power won't do it, and electrical powers won't do it. But it was another age, much smarter than our age. And in that age, God called a man called Noah. Just a common man, farmer. Because he was found godly in his generation. And God dealt with that one man on the subject of building ark because sin. We notice that in that time that the daughters of, of the man, the Bible said, saw, uh, the sons of God saw the daughters of man. Discussing it, where many of the writers think that that was sons of God, that the fallen angels pressed themselves into spirit. I don't see how a man could think that. That would make him a creator, make Satan a creator. Satan's no creator. Satan is a perverter of creation. See? All a lie is only the truth mistold. An adultery is the right act misconstrued. See? And that's exactly what sin is. Satan cannot create. He can only pervert what has been created. So it was the sons of God, which was Seah's sons from the lineage of God through Adam, and the daughters of Cain, Satan. And when they saw they were pretty, fair, and we noticed in there that bringing up pictures of like of a few years ago, say a hundred years ago, how the beauty of women has come past the beauty that used to be in women. If you read Genesis 6, you'll find a beautiful picture of it there. 
They were fair. And women today are much prettier than they used to be. It's because of their dress and their modern trend. That's what brings them out. I got a picture of Pearl White was when Scott Jackson killed her, uh, plunged the knife into her bosom, the secret lover, and the great uh, nation was shook with the song. She's supposed to be the most beautiful woman that there was in the world in those days. Why, she would be a relic on the street today to some of these women. I go back to the time of Clara Bowl when she first started the scandal of rolling her stockings down below her knees and saying, roll them, girlies, roll them. I remember that in my early age. And take the picture of Clara Bowl and compare it with some of the beauties of today. See, and that is a sign of the end time. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And they continually undress themselves. What is that? Daughters of kings. That's why we're considered cranks and fanatics. When we try to explain and tell the gospel truth about it. But they continually uh, immoralize themselves and get on the streets and, and act the way they do and don't realize that they are going to answer at the day of judgment. Now, the woman that misdresses herself sexy and may you might be uh, as pure as a lily to your husband or to your sweetheart, your boyfriend. But when the sinner passing the street and looks upon you and you dress that way, he'll lust for you because you have presented yourself to him in that manner. It isn't the kids that needs a whipping. It's Papa and Mama for letting them do like that. that. It isn't juvenile delinquency. It's parent delinquency. And I think a lot of pulpit delinquency. Or they just let them get by and say nothing about it. When there it is in the Word. Now, now the Bible, Jesus said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath, past tense, committed adultery with her in his heart already. And when that sinner goes to the judgment to have to answer for an adultery, it'll fly right back. Who did you commit it with? With you. Though you never done the act, but the Bible said you're guilty anyhow. Who's to blame then? Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The seriousness of it. In Jeffersonville today, there's 99 and 99 percent of the women are guilty before God. The whole nation is that way. Why? The delinquency at the pulpit. To tell the people and the delinquency in the home that the young ladies get on the street and act like that. And they call it all right. Now that's exactly what Noah had to contend with in his day. The daughters of man were fair and the sons of God looked upon them. See the lust coming again. But Noah, oh, we could stay there for hours. But Noah was a man of righteousness, godly, integrity, and he cried out against such. And they called him a crazy man. Scoffers, the Bible said. 
that they scoffed at him, made fun of him. But he said, there is coming a time that a storm, water is going to fall from the skies. There had never been no rain. And his gospel didn't stand up to their scientific theories of that day. For there was no rain in the sky. And today, the scientific theory of the modern so-called religious groups has tried to prove that this blessed thing that we have called the Holy Spirit is only emotion. See, it just don't stand up according to their scientific theory. But I'd like to ask them this. What makes them change? What makes the drunkard stop drinking? What makes the prostitute cease her evil life? What makes the cancer and the, the diseases depart from the people and the deaf, dumb, and blind and the dead to raise up? Explain that. Is that emotion? It has emotion with it, certainly. Anything that's alive has emotion. And anything that doesn't have emotion is dead. Excuse the expression, but I think we ought to bury some of our emotionless religion then, because it's dead and it has no emotion good. Any religion that has not emotion should be buried, because it is emotional. Jesus, when he entered the city, the children and all of them, the, all the friends crying, Hosanna, him that cometh in the name of the Lord, and those religious of that, they couldn't stand it. It was too emotional. He said, if they hold their peace, the rocks will immediately cry out. See, Something must cry out because life was there. Noah had a terrible time. But finally, one day he had a trial, and all that go with God has trials. Your faith is tried. When you start to live for him, then every neighbor's going to talk about you. Everything's going to go wrong for you. Just remember that. For it's God trying you. The Bible said every son that cometh to God must be first proven, chastened, child trained. Like my daddy trained me. When I'd done wrong, they had, to, they had the, the Ten Commandments hanging up over the door. There's a limb about this long. And Mr. Brandon was a pretty good man in his arm. And he took us out and he trained us. And that's what God does. He trial child trains you. Brings you up because you're his child. There's something in the future for you. Home and glory. And he trains you. Now, every son coming must be trial. Noah, a type now of his dispensation, had a trial because God told him to go in the ark. And when he went in the ark, the door shut itself. And Noah, no doubt, told his family, watch tomorrow. Oh, the door closed tonight. But in the morning, there will be rain up there in the skies. Never had been before, remember. And the scoffers, maybe some of them kind of halfway believers said, let's go up and stand. You know, that old man could have been right. They stood around the ark waiting, you know. Well, now, he could be right. And they went up. And the next morning, the sun rose as it's pretty. Come across. You know, I no doubt what Satan set up there on top of that hole in the ark, that window. Do you think you're still right? <laughs> Well, that's the way the devil does all of us. But as long as God said so, stay with it. That don't matter what. Stay right with it. The second day passed. The third day passed. Noah was sweating it out. But finally, after seven days, and that was in February the 17th when he went in, and then after seven days, then that morning when he woke up, the thunders of the roar, 
Great big drops of rain was dropping around. Those who had come up and stayed a day or two to find out, say, well, we'll go and see if anything happened. It was too late then. They knocked. They screamed. The streets come full of water. Begin to raise up on the hillsides. People took to the highlands. They tried to get them on boats and so forth. But if the boat wasn't God-constructed, them big mighty shaking of the earth at that time, just shuck it right down on the water. You say, any of you, so I got a religion, it'll be all right. No, it isn't. It's got to be a God-constructed experience in religion. All other will perish. I don't say this to be different. I only say it because of love and knowing that I'm going to have to answer it that day and responsible. So if I just say what he says, then I know it's all right. But if I try to put somebody's creed or theory in it, I, I couldn't do it. I don't have no faith in it. I just believe what he said. Now, notice, after a while they got deeper to the highest, they knocked at the door, they screamed, they cried. It didn't do a bit of good. Maybe a few days before, when they put the animals in there, I could hear some of the scoffers say, Go on in there with your stinking animals. <laughs> Live with all your stink in there if you wish to. That's it today. They tell you the same thing. Well, be old-fashioned if you want to. We're going to live it up. Well, let it go. But all, oh, brother, to be safe in their heart, the door closed. That's, that's the thing. But knowing his day, it was hard for him in his dispensation. See, because that's the people never heard of such a thing, but it comes just the same. Then we find out on the scene come after the Noah's deliverance and so forth, and the earth began to grow again, and, and everything that breathed breath perished. And then we find out again that there come a time that God is bringing His children out of Egypt, that Moses come along with the law. It was so hard for the people to understand, but a dispensation was changing to a law. And then after the law come Moses trying, it was a schoolmaster, people just living any way they wished to. So the schoolmaster, the law was, the Bible said, to bring people to recognize that it was wrong. So he gave them the Ten Commandments. It was quite a change. The people didn't want to receive it. All right. Then after Moses come John. And after John the dispensation come, he introduced Jesus. And when Jesus comes to try to bring us grace, which was God in the Spirit, in the line of Spirit, manifested His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And Jesus was so different and contrary to the law, see, but it was a different dispensation, a different time. And then when Jesus left, he spoke of this dispensation, of the Holy Spirit, the light inside, a witness of him, of the resurrection. i got lots of scriptures here, but I just haven't got time to get into them. I'll just brief them over, all right? It's always been a fact and a, a fight. When one dispensation is changing from an old dispensation to a present time message, it's always been a fight with the people. They, uh, uh, they, it's, although it's been always scriptural, but during the time that God gives them a dispensation and it's something to live by or something to do, now we find out that immediately after that dispensation is given, the man of the earth trying to find something to counteract that and something to make a man-made affair of it. After Noah had the ark. And then immediately after that, Nimrod, that renegade, he built a tower and said, if the floods would come, we'd just climb up and get above it. And then God come along with the law that just 
See, that dispensation had lived its time out. And when Jesus came, also, after the law, the law spoke of Moses and spoke of the coming of Christ. But when he came, they were so set in the traditions of the fathers. They had their creeds. They had their fashions. They had their churches. They were settled down. So it was so hard for Jesus to try to shake that kingdom, that church, from a creed to believe him. And yet the scriptures specially spoke of this one all the way from the first dispensation of Eden. His seed shall bruise the serpent's head. Promised Jesus through each one of the dispensations, and when he come, they didn't recognize him because they were so bound in their creed. But yet it was a scriptural truth. Each messenger and its message foretold the other one to follow. Each time. Moses, the prophets foretold, Moses foretold of the coming of Jesus. Moses said, The Lord your God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. How many times have we been through that in our messages around the world? That the coming Messiah was to be a prophet. That's why the ill-famed woman, against all the ministers, she believed the message. The woman at Samaria, when Jesus is speaking to her, he said, bring me a drink. She said, you have nothing to draw with. It's not customary for you to ask me a Samaritan woman. And the conversation went on then. He said, go get your husband and come here. She said, I have none. I said, that's right. you got five. And the one you're living with now is not sure. She said, sir. I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, we know that there's coming a change of dispensation. There's coming one who's going to be anointed. is called the Messiah, the Christ of God. And when he comes, he will be that prophet. Amen. How much more that woman know than all the preachers of that day? That's in her and her condition. She understood the Scriptures. Yet a poor little woman married the five husbands. And uh, living with the sixth one, and yet she knew more about the scriptures because she took it just for its face value. And she said, When he comes, he'll be a prophet. What did Jesus say to her? I'm him. And she left her water pot and ran into the city and said, Come see a man who told me the things I've done. Isn't that the very Messiah? That's him. Now, see, she, she knew that he was coming because the prophets and the scripture had. In the days of Moses and the days of the prophets, and all the way back in each one of those dispensations, had said, He'll be here, and this is what He'll be. Oh, my. If the people could only see that today, then they'd know that they were living. They would see it's God's promise for this day. God said it would be this way. There's nothing wrong. God's great clock is ticking just exactly the right time. And... Even according to science, it's three minutes till midnight. So you see, the stroke might come at any time. And that's been two or three years ago since they said that. See, we're at the end time. But you see, we've changed dispensation. From the old church age of back there, where that dismal day was, just yarn church and put your name on the book, until the evening light. The restoration, the return again of the Holy Spirit upon the earth. Another Pentecost. Another sign. Another thing was to take place and the people doesn't believe it because they're so set like they was in the days of Jesus. He told of this day when he was here on earth he come exactly according to Scripture that he foretold of this day coming. Now, now we want to think of another one here. I've got, if you want to read some of Matthew 24. Jesus told of this day. He said the Jews would gather again at the last day. 
He said, when you see the fig tree putting forth its bud, then know the time is at hand. He said, there'll be a perplexity of time, distress between nations. The sea of roaring, man failing, heart trouble constantly. It's not among the women, now it's amongst the man. Jesus never said the women, man. Look at the plague. And in that day, what would come to pass? That would be the end time sign. Heart saving, fear, perplexed, revelations. When he spoke the prophet, speaking of this thing, he said that there would come a time that the church would be lukewarm. The lady of sin church age in the last days. See, what is it? It's Jesus, the last age, predicting the end of this age. Just exactly like in Eden, like down in Noah's time, and down in the time of Moses, down in the time of the law, or law and down in the time of grace, and now in the evening time. There's many others there. We, we had time, but I've just skipped over them because we won't have time. Of each one saying what would be in the next age, but the church becomes so churchy with their creeds, with their dogmas, and their make-beliefs, and their man-made theories until they miss that word. Now you see what evening time evangelism is going to be. Hmm? What is it? The ones that care it's going to be called crazy. They'll be so different. There wasn't Noah's time. There wasn't every time. Put out of the churches because they believed in Jesus. Anybody listened to him had to be excommunicated from the church. Oh, yeah. See? But he had that dispensation. That was his time, the son's dispensation. Now, we find out also... That the great Holy Spirit prophesied of that. You want to put some of these scriptures down? Matthew 24, and then put 2 Timothy 3 and 1. The Holy Spirit speaks of a great intellectual age at the end time. Did you know that? Why is it? Joseph, you've chatted with me much here in the nation, and you've heard of meetings overseas. I go overseas, have 150, 200,000, 500,000, and the people just, just one thing. That you see done every day at the meetings goes on there here in the tabernacles. Right. Up to 10, 20, and 30,000 will fall on their feet yeah. from their feet to give praise to God. They see it. What's the matter going to take place in America? It's an intellectual time. They want someone who can speak not of judgment, not of these things because it breaks them up from their fellowship with their clubs and, and their, their lodges and, and the ungodly things that they belong to. Therefore, if their pastor named something like this, the deacon board would have him ousted and put in somebody else, some young Ricky or something. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, excuse me. I, I didn't mean that. But I, sometimes I get over-enthused, I guess. But I mean, if Ricky's all right. I just don't like the name. That's right. But you look that up numerology, you'd rename your child. <laughs> now, Ricky or Elvis or something like that, oh mercy. So, oh, anyhow, now, you see, they, have to, they didn't have those names gone by. It has to come. This is the age for it to be here. That's exactly right. Now, and now the Spirit says, now listen, I'm quoting to you from the Scripture. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time, see, latter time, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, and so forth. See? Look how they would be heady, high-minded, big shots. Excuse it. But you know what we call the big shots, the street expression. We all know it better to say it like that. Heady, high-minded, 
lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I stood there yesterday. Look at that swimming pool just below us. And I wondered, when a man who is a Sunday school teacher said to me, that ought to be the Bible where Jesus spit. Said, it's against the sanitation rules. When Jesus spit and made, took his spittle, he's standing talking, the original Greek said, you're spitting on the ground. Talking to this man, spitting on the ground. When he got through, he took his hand, reached down, picked up the spittle with the dirt, and rubbed it on his eyes, washed it on his eyes, and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, sand, and your eyes will come open. And he went and washed it. His eyes come open. So this fellow said to me, That would not work today. That's against the sanitation rule. Health rule. And then that same man take his family, wife, and all those children down there to that swimming pool where all those women and men and in that water at times of the month that they shouldn't be in and all that... Um, uh, they never go into the, the restrooms sometimes and, and all them dirty bodies and filth in there and them spurting it through their mouth and eyes and things like that and then say to Jesus sitting on the ground and making a man to see I brought a little boy from there the other day. He said, I swallowed some of that water, so I'm sick as a horse. I'm going home. The little fellow may be sitting here now. He lives in a trailer about two or three blocks down the street where we're So I'll never go in there again. But yet that's called modern civilization. See where you get to? The old saying of gag at a gnat and swallow a camel. See? I'm just anxious to meet him now. Now, there you are. Better get off of them things, see? An intellectual, petty, high-minded... Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I'm quoting Scripture. The Holy Spirit speaks expressly that this would take place at the end time. Heady, high-minded. Having a form of God. Well, first to be incontinent. And despisers of those that are right. Hater of those who believe the Word. See them? They don't agree with these traditional creeds and things, so they hate him. Like those Pharisees and Sadducees, they hated Jesus. Why? Because he was, he was contradicting their creed. Yeah. Hmm? Not that he wanted to be different, but he must live. He was the Word, the living Word, living. He said, if I do not the works of my Father, then believe me not. Hmm? Well, the same thing is today. If a man preaches these things and it doesn't happen, then it's wrong. Because the Scripture said it would happen. Then if it does happen, then that's right. Not the man's right, but the word's right. Now, but this is the condition we got into today. You see, friends, it's just as reasonable. You see it? I'm building up here to show you the climax here at the end time evangelism. Now, notice in these times, intellectual age, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Stay home on Wednesday night to watch... Some of them old vulgar plays. We love Susie or Lucy or what all that stuff is. Women married a dozen times and living with man and them living. No, my. Every one of them married and divorced and married and divorced. You make them idols like God. But you'd rather stay and watch that than attend the prayer meeting. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Let a ball game come in town or the colonels and giants or what it was happen to meet out here somewhere. They close the churches to get the attendance. Let Elvis Presley come down here on the street with his guitar and go to swing it back and forth or some of them guys. And on a Wednesday night, the prayer needs to be closed. 
lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Heavy, high-minded, incontinent, fierce, and despisers of those that are good. Yeah. Having a form of godliness. You say they're communists. No, they're not. They're church members. Having a form of godliness. But what? Denying the power thereof. Having a form of God, but say God doesn't do these things. See, there's no power to it. You just accept and do this, that. See, no change of life, no nothing. It's just, just belong to church. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. The Bible says, For this is the sort that go from house to house and lead silly women laden with sins. Led away with divers' lust. That's exactly what the Bible says. Now we're living in exactly that age. But do thou the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. See? That's it. Now, by these messengers and witnesses that we see, we find out what crop we're in. Look what crop you're in this morning. Look what crop we're in. Why, he said on this side, these signs will be following them that believe. They'll be mocked and scoffed at like the days of Noah. And here will come this other group back here, making fun of them, heady, high-minded, having a form of godliness, and denying the very thing that you're professing. So you can, you can see what crop you're in. See? These true messengers of today. Jesus foretold that that would be Satan with his message, and his messenger would have this going. These signs shall follow them at least. See? Satan's messengers would be having a form of godliness. His messengers had these signs. Taking up serpents, drinking daily things, casting out devils, laying hands on the sick, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, signs and wonders. Now, we're in one of the crops. And we're at the end time. Oh, my. No wonder Isaiah, the prophet, said the whole body is cankered and full of uh, petrified sores. Everything. Where could we go? What if we do if we'd all merge together? It would make it worse than ever. See? There'd be all kinds of things. Like they're trying to... Uh, the World Council of Churches. It'll never work. They've got atheist unbelievers. And how can, he, how can two walk together, said the Bible, unless they be agreed? Yeah. See? And there's not none two of them will agree together. Salvation is an individual affair between, not a church, but between each individual in God. Walking with the Word. Yeah. Look, brother, as we see, and I know I'm getting awfully late. Notice, the great flashing red light signal of His coming is down. We know it. I could just take many scriptures here I got wrote down to show you what we're at the end time. The Jews has returned to Palestine. The fig trees put forth its bud. Man's heart are failing with fear. The women the rampage that they're on. I could go back in Revelations and show you that this nation here is marked by women. Woman's number, number 13. We have to have 13 colonies, 13 tribes, 13, everything, 13 Everything, 13. 13 stars on the dollar. Everything is 13 and a woman. When I stood not long ago in Switzerland, and I was talking to a woman, said, oh, we want to come over to America so we can have the freedom like the women there. I told them what they did. Oh, they said, we don't want that thing. But it's America. We could go back and show that right here. Uh, that's supposed to be in this nation. It comes up where there's no waters, no peoples. comes up like a lamb. It's got two little horns, civil and ecclesiastical power. But they, they unite together through political powers. A new president we got. Bringing in Rome again. I want anybody to tell me, any theologian here or anywhere else, where the Bible ever predicts that communism will rule the world. Don't you fear communism. There's nothing to it. It's a bogus thing that God's are using right. to chasten the nations with it. Chasten the nations. 
Sure. The Bible says Rome will rule the world. Look at King Nebuchadnezzar, his dream, his vision, Daniel's interpretation. How every one of them's kingdoms and dispensations hit this perfect. And right down to the end, there was Rome. So it's going to be Rome. It isn't going to be communism. They're just, they're just figureheads. That's all. They'll never go nowhere. No, they won't. Like Joseph just said, the heart of Africa, those poor heathens back there, is not to be ruled over. They've already been ruled over. That's what's the matter with them today. They've been ruled over. They want love. They want God. And when communism is ungodly, then they'll never accept that. Certainly not. Sure not. The red light is flashing. The signal's down. His coming is at hand. Oh, my. Isaiah, the 60th chapter and the second verse, said, Darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness will cover the people. And that's exactly right. The end-time messenger and message should meet with end-time conditions. Don't you think so? This message could not have been preached 40 years ago. No, the end-time message and messenger has got to meet. Back there in them days, it, had, uh, it probably wouldn't have worked. But it's got to cope with end-time conditions. Be converted. Believe the gospel. Signs. That's the message of today. Wash your souls in the blood of the Lamb. And believe the gospel that the end time signs are here. The seed of the gospel has been taking place. They're talking so much about reform. I'll go with them on that. Like the evangelical reform. Reform means to be cleaned out. So I think we need a bunch of cleaning out of our unbelief and believe the gospel. That's right. Too much of our suspicions and wonders. Reform. Even the regular word in the Greek translation where it says repent does mean reform, and reform means to clean out all the past, the past, and believe the gospel in its power and manifestation. These signs shall follow them, they say, just to that age. He said, unto the end of the world. Now, somebody's right. If the man who's an unbeliever said that that was just for apostles only, and Jesus himself said to the end of the world, then I'll take his word for it. That's right. It's right. God wants His people to be separated from unbelief and unbelievers. So many of you people make a mistake in this. Sometimes let your children play out here a little Oswald, see? I don't mean to be different now and starchy and so forth and be some kind of a fanatic. I don't mean that. But you let a, uh, you be sure who your daughter goes out with at night time. Maybe you've raised her a godly little old girl around the church and the first thing you know she gets out with Oswald or some of them and, and uh, he's an atheist unbeliever and her life will come up ruined and you don't know what he's. See? Then he'll marry her and look where your kids are, your grandchildren. Then, see? Be careful. God wants his people to be separated. You read Exodus 34, 12 once and see what God told Israel. When you go over in that land, it's clean out. Everything's there. Don't you have one thing to do with it. Joshua, also 23rd chapter and 12th verse. Watch what Joshua said. Now God's brought you to this good land, like the church now. He said, brought you to this good land. Do you enjoy it? They say, Amen, we enjoy it. He said, Now there's some remnant of these unbelievers out here, and don't you associate with them. Don't go with them. Don't you, sister, if that boy wants to take you to a bar room somewhere just to have a friendly little drink, stay away from him. And the same thing, you boys, to that girl that would do the same thing. Stay away from them. Now, you go to say, Brother Bram's an old crank, but one of these days you'll find out you've been along the trail that I've been along, you'd, you'd know that's right. 
Yes, sir. How many times have I seen in the confession rooms where the young girls would come and in disgrace that Mark will go with her till she dies and the things that she said once raised in a fine Christian home, but here's what happened. She went out with this boy. He was just so cute. She just couldn't keep away from him and, and uh, all like this. And the first thing he smoked cigarettes and had a flask in his pocket and they got to drinking. The, here you are. See, there she is in disgrace and that. Oh, it's a pitiful thing. You see it on both sides. So just stay away. Separate yourself. Be nice and kind to everybody, but don't be partakers of their sins. Stay away from it. Yes, sir. And it's always, friends, the leaders, each time through the change of these dispensations, has got the people all messed up. It hasn't been so much the people. If the gospel would have stayed in the pulpit where it belonged, like I was talking to the Bethany College of the Lutherans, he said, Brother Branham, what do you think we have? And I, I said, I said, well, here's what it is. He said, what's the difference between this Pentecost you're talking about and us Lutherans? I said, the Pentecostal church is the advanced Lutheran church. That's exactly right. If you stayed where you should have been, you'd been Pentecostal too. And we're all talking about, like I heard someone say this morning, that uh, all churches, all, all the first religion, all Christians really come from Rome. I want somebody to prove that to me. <laughs> I'll admit all the denominations come from Rome, but Christians begin at Jerusalem. So if the Catholic hierarchy wants us all to return back to the mother of Christendom, I'll agree with him that. Let's go back to Pentecost and all get the Holy Ghost. I'll agree with him that. That, it never come from Rome, it come from Pentecost. Right. The church wasn't inaugurated at Rome, it was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. Right. Amen. Sure, not under their dogmas, but under the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. If we go back, let's go back to the beginning of it. Right. Not back to the denomination, you go to Rome. Because they was the first one who had an organization or a denomination. And it's the mother of all of them, and the Bible said so in the Revelation 17. She's a prostitute herself and a mother of all her daughter. Amen. That's what the Bible said. Jesus Christ said that that Roman Catholic Church was a prostitute, and all of her Protestant daughters were harlots with her. And he said, Come out from among them, my people, that should be not partakers of her sins, and I'll receive you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me. See? Well, there you are. See? Having forms of godliness and denying the power thereof, and so forth. You precious Methodists, how you used to have the power of God among you. I went and stood, I wore John's robe when I was in London, England to pray for King George that time. And they took me up there at Wesley's Chapel where he preached at 1500 every morning at 5 o'clock before the man went to work. Sat there in a seat where he converted this rooster fighter and I, I sat in the seat and stood there and got up in his pulpit and prayed in the room where he went to heaven. I thought, oh, if John could know what that Methodist church has done, he'd turn over in his grave. When you used to pray for the sick and have great signs, when John Wesley, standing out there at that shrine, I stood by, where's the tree that day, preaching divine healing. And uh, the high church of England, the Anglican church, went and turned a bunch of the members, come down there and turned loose a fox and a bunch of hounds and scattered John's a congregation. Little old John never weighed over 110 pounds any time in his life, but he turned and he pointed his fingers and he said, you hypocrite! The sound I've set on your head three times till you'll call me to pray for you. And he died that evening with cramps in his body calling for John to come pray for him. And he died. See? Oh, if you Methodists would be Methodists like that, you'd be Pentecost. Right. What about you Baptists? You run down to church for a few minutes and the pastor preaches over 15 minutes, you want to excommunicate him. John Smith! <laughs> 
the founder of the Baptist Church, prayed all night at times and cried over the sins of the people until his eyes would go shut from crying and his wife would lead him to the table and feed him out of a spoon his breakfast. Can't pray 15 minutes. No more. What's the matter? See, you got traditions mixed into it. The message still moves on. Israel followed the pillar of fire. Where it stopped, they stopped. Where it went, they went. The pillar of fire is moving on. Yes. Now, we find out it's the leaders that does it. The leaders have always been the mix. Look at old Dathan back there in the Bible time in Moses' dispensation of the law. He was the one who led the mixed multitude. Dathan. It was Korah when God raised his prophet. Moses. And he had the word of the Lord. You know, he had two and a half million people out there in that desert. And Jethro come up and said, Moses is going to kill you, your burden so great. God took part of his spirit and put it up on seventy elders and they prophesied it never weakened Moses a bit. He, but Moses was still the last answer. Because he had, Thus saith the Lord. You can't go under a group of men. I, I defy any time that it ever went, God ever did use a group of men. He uses one man. Amen. Exactly. One man at a time. Because two men's got two opinions. One man. Right. Exactly right. Notice. Now, every dispensation has been that way. All the way down through. It's been that way every time. And there stood Moses. And you know what Korah said? He said, why, Moses acts like he's the only one can preach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's the only one has got the message. Oh, we know that pillar of fire hangs over him. We know that light's over him. We know all that. But he acts like, and he's the only one has got the message. He didn't mean that. He didn't mean it that way. He was trying to correct the people. There's too many ideas. You've got to listen to something. And what happened? God said, just separate yourself from him. Because I'll swallow him and his congregation. The earth and the earth opened up and fire come out and they went out. See? The mix, the leaders. The leaders what caused the trouble amongst the people. If it wasn't today, we could come here in this city and every church and every congregation come together. Why, they'd have this place, they'd have oh, every liquor store be closed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why, this city would be so dry to a bootlegger would have to prime himself a half hour to get enough moisture about him to spit. He, well, it would be, oh, excuse me, I ought to have said that. Wait, listen, what I'm meaning is this. We're all scattered. It's the leaders. God can come in to do something and the leaders of these little groups pray something's going to get lost. They'll stay plumb away from it. Instead of accepting God's message. It was the leaders in the days of Noah. It was the, le- it was the leaders in the days of Moses. It was the leaders in the days of Jesus. It's the leaders today in the Holy Spirit. Amen. The mixed multitudes. They say, oh, let the women do that. Why are you hollering at them? As I've said, I believe here before, Someone said to me the other day, because I'm always trying to get my sisters to line up. See, they're the target. They've been the target in every age. Satan used them back there in the Garden of Eden. And he used them each time. And when the Bible points out about America and its women in the last days, then I start to hammer away at it. And someone said, Brother Branham, people regard you as a prophet. I said, I'm not. He said, but they regard you as that. Why don't you teach them people how to get great spiritual gifts? Teach them things. If you, God deals with you, we know that. So won't you teach them we're still always cutting at them? I said, I've preached to them for 31 years. And how can I teach them, uh, how can I teach them algebra when they don't even know their ABCs? <laughs> Why is it won't even call for 
act like women. Well, if they keep doing the way they're doing, how can you teach them spiritual things when they won't even believe natural things? How can you teach them those things? Let the church come up into that realm and then they can be taught in that realm how to receive gifts of God and how to manifest gifts and things. But the Holy Spirit will never let it come to that heart trite and ready to receive it. Then God's standing out like a great pressure. Don't pray that there'll be too many of them. You can't exhaust God. Could you imagine a little rat about that long little mouse under the great garners of Egypt saying, I better eat one grain of wheat a day. I might run out before next harvest. <laughs> Could you imagine a little fish about that long swimming out in the middle of the ocean said, I better drink of this water sparingly because, it, you know, it might go dry. <laughs> oh my, that's trying to exhaust God's goodness and mercy to his people. He wants to bless you. He's ready. He's pressing. Could you imagine taking all the waters in the earth, the seas and everything, and piling it in one four-foot pipe and put it up there, the pressure be on the bottom of it? Trying to find a little crevice to leak its way through. That's like the pressure of the Holy Spirit trying to come down on every life. But they won't do it. They love creeds and things better than they love God. You've got to sell out the things of the world and believe God. That can't be denied. You've seen it year after year and time after time. And Joseph said one time, it never misses. It's got to be God. See? And it's God's promise of the day. Not me. I ain't God's promise. I'm a man. I'm talking about His Holy Spirit. Right. Sure that's the promise of the day. Anywhere, anybody. Now, we find out that they were the one. And look, and look, we take, for instance, Balaam. Balaam, he come down and taught the people his doctrine. And they said, now look, we're all believers. We're, we're Lot's uh, daughters, children. Moab up there said, we're just all the same. And he mixed them up. Caused intermarriage. He caused them pretty Moabite women, all dialed up, and come down here and told these sons of God that they were they were all the same after all. God's a God of all races and everything's all right. And he married them yeah. uh, together. And God brought the separation line and made them leave their homes and everything. What was it? See that thing? Just exactly what took place back there before the flood. When the sons of God saw the daughters of man. They were fair to look upon and they lusted for them and tuck unto them wives. See? Same thing took place there and the same thing now. Again, it's the same thing. You should see it. Each generation tells what will happen at the next. And here it is. We see it. We know that it's the same. Because the Bible here is to declare it. It's the same now as it was. All right. Now, and all that counts, of course, for the, the day that we're living in. Now, the, the call of the day, all that counts amongst the churches today is members. That's all they want is members. Now, we all know the Baptist slogan in 1944. Said we'll have a million more. Forty-four. We know our precious, gracious brother Billy Graham. We see his place in the Scripture, where he goes to, what he does. But it's always decisions. So many made decisions. Just denomination. That's all they want. See, that's the way it was in the days of Jesus. The same thing. They're not bad men. They were blind. That's all. They were blind to the truth. Jesus told him so, said, you blind Pharisees and Sadducees, what all you do? What did he say you do? You scribes, Pharisees, you're blind. He didn't say you're sinners. 
They were sinners for what we call sin. Now, we call sin committing adultery, smoking, lying, stealing, things like that. That's sin. That isn't sin. That's the attributes of unbelief. The Bible said, He that believeth not is condemned already. Unbelief in the Word is sin. Look at those men. Holy. Why, you couldn't put a finger on Marley. Their grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-great-grandfather were all priests. They kept that law and traditions of the elders and the fathers just perfect down through the generation. There wasn't one blemish on them. If it would, they'd be stoned. Good man. And Jesus said, You are your father, the devil. Why? Because they didn't see the message, the word. He was there. And they said, This man's trying to tear up our churches. He said, You blind Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, Here's what he said. He said, You'll compass seeds to make one proselyte. What all you'll do for one member. And when you bring him into your denomination, he's a twofold child more hell than he was when he was out there. That's exactly what Jesus said. And if there's anything that's unrighteous and anything that's ungodly, is to take an old moss-backed church member that thinks they're so good, and they can't see, see nothing but their own glasses. I'm not criticizing, but yes, I am too. And that, that's just exactly right. And Jesus said, you're a twofold more child of hell than you was when you started. And when we take churches, that no matter how many members that you get in that church and see them go to the bookies and horse races and stand out here and the women with shorts on up and down the streets and singing in the choir, that's the biggest stumbling block the sinner ever had. Exactly. They expect them people call themselves Christians to live a decent life, to be a different person. That's an example. That's a stumbling block. That's a hypocrite. That's ten times worse off than you ever was. You'd be better off to be out there like you were. That's when the man comes, say, well, they don't live any different than I live. Well, certainly not. I'm, I'd be as good as they are. It's a stumbling block. It's exactly right. See him say, well, some sinner walk up and say, Jesus said this year, oh, that wasn't for that. I don't mean that. That, that. He didn't mean that right there. That was for another age. Why, you unbeliever? See? What's the matter? You put a stumbling block in that person's way? Jesus, I uh, mean, the Psalms, David said, set not in the seat of the scornful, stand in the way of the ungodly. See? Don't put yourself in the way of the ungodly like that and set in the seat of the scornful, making fun of them that's all right and standing around saying it was a form of godliness. But he that delighteth in the law of the Lord, he loves the hood. He shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. His leaves shall not wither. Whatever he does will prosper. It will come to pass. Just exactly. That's the kind of a church that God wants. Blind leaders of blind. Making, in these last days, scoffers coming and so forth. The end time evangelist message is from Malachi 4. It's a restoring. The message and messenger both will have to be a restoration of the faith. Jude said, in the book of Jude, just about 30 years after the crucifixion, he said, Brethren, I give all diligence to write unto you of the common faith, that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints back there. Malachi said, for the last days, the last prophet of the Old Testament, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord shall come, I will send to you Elijah the prophet. And he will restore the faith of the children back to uh, the faith of the children back to the fathers. Just before the destruction time. What is it? It's a message that goes forth. 
a message and messenger of the last days. That's not to bring him to a creed, but to jerk him out of those creeds and bring him back to the original faith of the fathers, the Pentecostal fathers, where the church is to be in the last days. Not the Mosaic fathers, but the Pentecostal fathers. The Mosaic fathers is Malachi 3. I send my messenger before my face to prepare the way before the Lord. Matthew 11, 6 says the same thing. Jesus witnesses that that's when he seen John said, so what would you go out to see? A man dressed in fine, with collars turned around and so forth. Not John. He said, damn it, dressed like that, blowing king's palaces and these big denominations to kiss the babies and marry, you know, and so forth, bury the dead and marry the young and so forth. They're back there. So what would you go out to see? A, a reed shaking with any wind? Oh, not John. <laughs> no, no. He didn't shake when they busted against him and said, you have no cooperation. If you go there, it didn't make any difference. It's John. He went anyhow. See? So what you go out to see? A prophet? But I'm saying more than a prophet. If you can understand it, this is you who is spoken up by the prophet, saying, I send my messenger before my face to prepare the way. Malachi 3. And in Malachi 4, for the church age, he said, I'll send to you Elijah before that day. Now, that couldn't have been John, because the world wasn't burned up back there, and the righteous walked out upon the ashes of the wicked. No, it's this age. A message that will go forth that will what? Restore the faith of the people, the church today that's out of all these different corruptions and a putrefied sword body of denomination back to a living faith and a living God. The message has been going on for years. That's right. It's time now that we should receive and believe the end time evangelism. It's to restore. Joel said the same thing. I will restore all the years of canker worm eating. Look here. Remember my message recently on the bride tree? See? How did they tug Jesus? He was a tree. One that David saw, a tree planted by the rivers of water. His fruit in season, the most perfect tree. And they cut him down and hung him on a man-made Roman tree for a mockery. But what did he do? Rose up again on the third day. What else did he do? He set forth a bride tree, a man and a woman, like the trees that was in the Garden of Eden, two trees. One on the tree of life and one on the tree of death. And what did he do? He come to redeem this tree. So since he redeemed it at Calvary, he's ready to plant her now. Oh, my. I get to feel religious when you say that. <laughs> to restore his bride tree, the one that should have been in Eden. But she fell there because she disbelieved the Word. But here he's going to restore a tree that will believe the Word. And when she come up on the day of Pentecost, that original doctrine, that original faith, then what did Rome begin to do? Send the canker worm. Then the palmer worm, and each one took his part off the fruit, the leaves, and everything. It sucked it all down. But what did the prophet saw that? He said, But I will restore that tree, saith the Lord. She started back in the Reformation. What did she do? Organize. God pruned her, like in St. John 14, cut all the organization off of it. Then she come back to Wesley. She organized, pruned her off. I will restore. She's still coming. Now, what does it do? In the evening time, there will be a, not an organization. There will be a, a top. Where does the fruit ripen at first? In the top. While the sun hits it. And in the evening time, the seeds are planted now for an evening time bride tree. When the tree of life returns back to the bride tree. You see? And the evening lights has come out now to water and ripen that fruit that's been on the tree. It's been planted. The seeds are sown. The evening time. So the evening time evangelism will be the mark of Malachi 4 to restore the faith of the people back to the faith of the fathers. Yes, sir. 
Back to the building stones. Amen. Back to the, the day the leaders are again are saying, numbers, numbers. That back there they said in Jesus' time in that dispensation. Jesus said, you hypocrites, you scribes, you Pharisees, you can pass seeds to make one proselyte, get one member, and when you bring him in, he's a two-fold child more hell than he was when he started. And today they'll, they'll spend billions of dollars and do everything that they can to make one more member of the church. And when you do, he's worse off than he was out there. You just make a hypocrite out of him. Let the man do the things, get on out in the world and laugh and make fun of the gospel and everything like that. Is Leaders of this day again are saying, numbers, numbers, numbers. That, that's all that counts today is numbers. Decision. Oh, that's such a big word today. Decision. I wish somebody would make some deciding <laughs> to serve God instead of join a church. Make a decision. Come in. Put your name on the book. Send a whole big bunch of uh, people down there with... Right, what's your name? John Jones. You accept Christ your Savior? Yeah. You believe Jesus Christ being the Son of God? Yes. Satan does the same thing. Same thing. The Bible says he believes and trembles. That's there. But you don't tremble when you really believe. You rejoice. <laughs> All those that love his appearing. As I said, someone t- constantly telling me, sending me letters, Brother Bram, you scare people to death telling them the end time's coming. Scare the church? Well, that's the most glorious thing that happened to coming of the end time. I wish it was right now. Sure. What's the most glorious thing I ever thought of to meet my Lord? This old robe of flesh I'll drop and rise and seize the everlasting Christ. Go back to a young man again and live forever with my Lord? With all my people? Well, my, I can't think of struggling through this sin and trial and uh, aches and pains in this old pest house here. To leave this thing and go to a, a crown of righteousness? Why, it's the most glorious thing I ever heard. Like the Apostle Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept my faith. Henceforth, there's a, I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me that the righteous Lord will give me that day. Not only me, but all those that love His appearing. Not believes His appearing, but loves His appearing. Such a joy to know He's coming. Certainly. Yes, sir. But today, it's members. It's decisions. It's bringing members of the church. So many members. That's why, That ain't evening time evangelism. Now, I'm going to stop this a minute. Now, I just want to just talk to you from my heart. I hope I haven't, haven't kept you too long. It's, i got about seven, eight minutes yet. Now, I just want to talk to you from my heart. Isn't that truth now? Decision. Join a church. You leave the Methodist Church and come join us, the Baptist. Or you leave the Baptist and come join us, the Methodist. Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic, taking all. See? Member, 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 member. Decisions, decisions. What good is the stones if you haven't got a stonemason to shape them out? <laughs> confessions, the stones. When Peter made his confession, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, a little stone. Well, what good is a stone if there isn't a stonemason there to shape him into a son of God? You're just piling up a bunch of rocks. Is that right? It isn't doing a bit of good. The water wears away the stone. That's right. That's the people. What good is stones if you haven't got a true stonemason with a good sharp tool to shape them into the fitting place in the house of God? I just want to ask you, what good is the decision? What good you put your name on the book? What good come joining the church? If the stonemason isn't there, 
that'll shape that and make them quit this and that and cut them and make them over this way and square them up and make them like Christians. It sets in the house of God with signs following the believer. That's end time evangelism. Taking the stones and shaping them. See? What good would the stones be if you just pile them up? Let them lay where they're at. Might do a little better out there, and they would pile them up together. <laughs> they might be needed out there, and none them out there. <laughs> See, it's right. Stone is no good without a stonemason. <laughs> Jesus counts character, not members. You know that? He counts characters. God has always tried to get one man in His hand. That's all He needs is one man, and He'll do His work through the years. Just think, he could only find one righteous man in the time of Noah. In the time of Moses, he only found one righteous man. Look at Samson. See, God can only use what you surrender to him. Samson was a big, strong man. He had a lot of strength. Samson surrendered his strength to God, but he wouldn't give his heart. He gave his heart to Delilah. See? That's the way the people today, oh, brother, they'll reach down and pay off debts and things like that and build a bigger denomination and so forth like that. But when it comes to giving their heart, they won't do it. Right? What good? Peter had a sword. He pulled that sword and was going to cut the high priest's ears off and things like that. He did it. But when it come to a real Christian courage, he didn't have it. He backed up and denied it. Is that right? He could cut the high priest's ear off with his sword. Sure, he knows how to handle it. But when he come to the squeeze and time to stand on the Word of God, he didn't have the courage and even denied he knows Jesus. That's where it is today. We got courage to build buildings and put millions of dollars in them. We got courage to put pipe organs and plush seats and everything and go out and proselyte from place to place and make the Methodists come Baptists and so forth, back and forth like that. But when it comes to Christian courage to accept the Word and the message of God and stand there on it, we are few. So what good's your stones without a stonemason again? Isn't that right? God's looking for character. Not membership. Character. El Ezar, when he went to get the bride of, Christ, of, of Isaac, he sweated it out until he found character. Remember, Abraham put him responsible as God puts us responsible. Right, we minister. Hunt my bride! God bless your heart. I ain't looking for members. I'm looking for the pure in heart. Somebody that will believe the Word. Ella Ezer looked, and he thought, Oh, I can't do this myself. It's too much responsibility. I realize the responsibility of finding Isaac, which is type of the church, you know, of Christ. Rebecca, the type of the bride. And Ella Ezer got down on his knees and said, God, you, you just have to help me. And when he referred to God, God helped him. He got character. Come back to the Word, brother. Come back to God. Don't pay attention to this church you belong to. You can stay there if you want to, if they'll let you. But the thing to do first is come to God. Right. This is end time evangelism. <laughs> yes. Character. And when he found out, and then when Eliezer found the character that was in the woman, Rebecca, the beautiful bride of Isaac, he told her about Isaac, and she never question one thing. She believed the word of the messenger. And she made ready to go. 
And they went and asked the father, and he said, Just ask her, the damsels of age, ask her. Let her decision be. She said, I will go. To what? A man she had never seen. Know nothing about. But yet she was ready because she was predestinated and foreordained to that. Exactly right. Did you notice the woman washing Jesus' feet? She never asked for a blessing. She just looked there. And there that hypocrite, trying to make fun of him, degrade his character. That's what they were always trying to do. Make him look little. Something about, you know, they followed him just to do that. They'd say, now look here. Good master, we know thou art a great man of God. You fear nothing. Should we pay tribute to Caesar? (laughs) See? All the things that, just trying to find something to blacken his name. Smut it. This Pharisee invited him down there for dinner. That denomination, knowing that they'd invite him there, they had an iron in a fire somewhere. As a gambler would say, a trump up his sleeve. They had something in common. When you see anybody like that, that hates you, your cause for Christ, then they bring you in. It's either to get a lot of money off of you or do something or use you in some way. There's not, they won't believe the message. They got you there for something else. You think that same Christ don't discern the same thing today? Certainly he does. But they brought him in there and they said, now we'll prove it. He got him back there and let him come in stinking. Never washed his feet. Never made him welcome. Sitting there and that, where they walk in them robes, you know, bringing that, where the horses and things have been along the road in them days, them little trails, they all travel the same way. That big robe picking up that stink and is on him and his stunk from the dust and things on the road. And old stinking like in barnyards and things. And that was all going to a guest house with them great big chenille rugs on the floor. Everything that had some kind of an ointment. They, they washed their face and washed their feet and give them a pair of bedroom slippers like and set their sandals up. And then come in after he's all dressed and groomed and fixed his hair. They come in. Then you meet your guest and, they, and then, you, uh, then you, you greet them and hug them. They hug one another by the neck and kiss each other on the neck. See? Like you see Joseph and I a while ago putting arms around one another, patting each other, and they kiss one another on the neck. But that Pharisee, after inviting him in there, and there he was sitting back there, they never washed his feet. They never done a thing to him. They didn't sit there to make fun out of him. But some poor little degraded prostitute with a few nickels that she'd earned out there in her ill fame of living, she seen him sitting there, and the big tears rolled down her cheeks. She went down there and got an alabaster box with all the money she had. She slipped in some way and got back there. She fell down at his feet and she began to cry and her hair fall down and, and she'd cry and take her, they had no towel to wash his feet and she'd taken this hair and wipe his feet off. What beautiful water for his feet. Tears of a repented sinner. If he had just moved his foot, she'd have jumped up. She wasn't asking nothing. She just seen it need to be done. Can't we do that today? Uh, we don't ask nothing. It needs to be done. The gospel needs to be preached. Whether we get a penny or whatever, it don't make any difference. I never took an offering in my life. This is a need. This is a call. Separating churches, hate you and everything else, and gouge you out, and just what few friends you pick up together. But it's a message. It's got to go regardless. I never put myself on radio and big television programs where I'd have to beg people for money. I couldn't do that. I want to be your brother. I want to go where God decides people here, go there. Over here, if there's a million, God will make the way for me to go. That's all. Just live it by faith. That's the way we all should be doing it. Thank God many of them are doing it, you see, the same way. That's true. They're doing it. Look at this little woman. Jesus never moved a foot. 
look at this old Pharisee standing there, said, trying to make fun of him now. Said, now if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was washing his feet. See? Oh, yeah. He didn't know what kind of woman was around him. Yeah. See, there he is. That shows the class that he deals with. Right. I'm so glad of that. Yeah. He knows, look at that, what kind of a class of people with him. We're the dignified. We are the church members. And look, that old sinner out there with him, that woman, we know who she is. She walks the street. She's, you know what I'm talking about. So there, she's that type of woman. Look, look, that's the kind of people to hang after him. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. That's what I was, you know. I was that type of people. No good, sinner, and every one of you is the same. It hasn't come to him. You don't come just to be a member of a church. You've come because there's something to be done. Jesus needs to be served. Somebody should be there. Let's do it. She ever asked, Lord, will you bless me? Will you do this? No. She just washed his feet, wiped them with the hairs of her head. You know, some of our sisters had to stand on their head to get enough hair to wipe his feet. And there she, her pretty curls dropped down, and she wiped his feet, and she's kissed his feet continually like that. Jesus is sitting watching. He never moved an inch. After a while, when she got through, he turned around. There's old Simon standing there with all the ministerial association. Said, "See, uh, that's him. There you are. That shows what he is. He's no prophet. Look at him." He turned around and said, "Simon." Oh, I imagine he was red in the face. He said, "I got something to say to you. You invited me here. When I enter the door, you never wash my feet." You never kissed me welcome. You never anointed my head. You just stood there and trying to make fun of me. See? You brought me in here for that purpose. And this woman, ever since I've come, ever since I've come, she's continually washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she's constantly not kissed my neck, but kissed my foot. Didn't expect nothing, did you, sister? No. But I say to you that your sins, which are many, are all forgiven. <laughs> See, all the way down, she had nothing at all but just a fear that she wasn't doing the right thing, maybe. But it needed to be done, but her reward come at the end. You might hear me preach these messages. You might see the Holy Spirit discern and do great things and perform miracles. You might pray and it would never come to pass. Go on. Your reward comes at the end. Wouldn't that be better back there? Yeah. See. Do Jesus a service. That's the end time message. Yeah, the bride. God's looking for character. And then after Eliezer found the character, then the next thing was getting her ready to go. That's the same now, brother. The same, the same now. The end time message is not out yonder in Babylon. That's where I said to you, Joseph. And this little sweet brother of mine stood out there and put his hand on my shoulder one day and cried like a little baby. He said, Brother Branham, God sent me here to Chicago. He said, I'd see Chicago shuffle one of these days. And he said, now, they're sending me away. They're taking my church right out from under me. Great, nicest church in Chicago. So they take my church, and here are, they've ousted me out. They've voted me out. And I don't know what to do. I said, Joseph, God don't lie. <laughs> I said, you've seen Chicago shuffle. That started in New York City when they seen you over there because they wouldn't cooperate with you. I wouldn't even go. and didn't even know him. But something about him that drawed me to him. 
Now, I'm not saying this because it's a missionary rally tonight, but that was right. I was drawn to Joseph. I refused to go to Chicago because he wouldn't let him come, wouldn't let him come into cooperation. I said, then I don't go either. He said, you don't know him. I said, I know I don't know him, but God knows him. He's God's servant. And to me, he's all right. And so then Joseph said, I wish I could see Chicago show. Oh, my. Don't realize that shaking don't mean that cannon fodder out there. It don't mean that rubbish is going to be destroyed out there. The church is a shaking. There's only 120 out of the millions in the upper room when the shaking comes. <laughs> That's right. Sure. It's the shaking of the people. To, look, when it's having that great revival, this Apollos, a Baptist preacher that hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet and never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Paul passes through the upper coast of Ephesus. He finds this mighty church the Bible speaks of. And he went over there and told them the way of the Lord. And they said, uh, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they were shouting, having a wonderful time. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost? They said, we well, you know I want to be one. So then how was you baptized? They said, we've been baptized under John. He said, that don't work no more. Got to be baptized over. And he baptized them over in the name of Jesus Christ, laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Ghost came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there's just about eight or ten of them. Shaking. See, God's going to shake that. Hell will shake that when it receives it. But God shakes his church. One angel come to Abraham and his group up on the mountain and perform the miracle of discerning the thoughts that was in his heart. Is that right? And Sarah on the inside. Or the angels that went to Sodom had thousands down there. See? The shaking comes in the little group. You've seen it, Joseph. You've seen Chicago get its last call. That's right. And God honors you. Done just exactly what he said. Getting the bride ready. That's what it is. Now we're going to end right here. The saying this. The end time message is to get the bride ready and prepared for the rapture. What can you do? According to Malachi 4, is bring him back to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Bring him back to the faith of the fathers, the Pentecostal part, in the restoration time. I will restore, saith the Lord. That's real event, uh, end time evangelism. Now I just want to say these couple words before I close. I'll bypass the rest of these scriptures. Maybe sometime can get to them. But I want to say this. We believe we're at the end time. We believe it. And though it seems like at the end time, at this time, that the message and messenger both is about broke. <laughs> Looks like Satan has tried his best to rim wreck us. Brother Neville is accident with a crease there and gun blowing it. See? It looks like, and right now, when every church out through there is thumbs down on me, and see, see, it looks like it's, it's just about broke. Looks like we're defeated. Don't you worry. You know, it's usually at that time when God steps in on the scene of something he's been watching for a long time. You remember? Remember one time there's some children of down in the fiery furnace, they were holding true to that word. Everything went wrong. They threw them in jail. They kept them overnight. They'd go to burn them up the next morning, and it looked like the end was near. They was walking right out to the furnace, but he come riding down. The change, the scene was all changed just in a moment. It's always in them weakest moments when it looks like the true message is about defeated. That's when God steps in. He he lets the message and the messenger get to the end of the road. See? Then he comes in, and he rides the high waves. That's right. 
Remember, it was Jesus when his enemies thought that they had him defeated. The unbelievers said, we got him on the cross. The Sadducees and Pharisees, you hated him and hung him to a cross. They thought, we got him now. Uh-uh. It was about that time God rode in on the scene. Amen. Raised him up on Easter morning and broke the kingdoms of Satan. Stripped hell. Tucked the keys of death and hell and rose up with him. Uh, it was just for that week time. His message he had preached, the word he had stood by and everything. Then it was that real weak moment that when the victory comes, when he'd done all that he could do, then God came in. He changed the scene. It was Jacob running from Esau, dodging here and there over to rule and the different ones and trying to hide from Esau. Then his heart began to yearn to go home and when he rode home, he sent messengers, he sent offerings and everything else trying to appease Esau. But it was when Jacob come to the end of himself. It was when Jacob didn't know which way to turn. He put his wife and children across the the water, he crossed back over the, the brook. It was in Jacob had wrestled all night until his strength was gone and he was crippled and he was weak and his body was broke up. It was at that time when God come riding on the scene. Yeah. The next morning we find him, what? A fearless prince. Yeah. After his weakness, it looked like he was defeated, but we find him a fearless prince. The message was going on, and the messenger was with it. That's exactly right. Amen. He was a fearless prince the other day. Esau, even when he needed him worse, Esau, when he made it, and you remember, all that same time, God had worked on his brother's heart, too. Amen. Right. And Esau come to him and said, i got armies here. So I, you're weak, Jacob. Your body's afflicted. You're broke. said, I'll send soldiers along to protect you. Right when he needed them. But he had found something. Uh, all go along. Amen. It's when he recovered from that weakness. He recovered from that shock. When Jesus had recovered from the shock of death, he was as strong as he could go through a building without even moving a mortar of the storm. Uh, he could eat fish and bread. Amen. Oh, yes. It was that time. After the weakness had come that he found himself strong. It was after weakness had come. And it looks like it's pretty weak now for both message and messenger, but don't you worry. Somewhere. I don't know how, but I'm trusting him. He'll come riding in on the scene someday. Don't you worry. Let's go together. Let's bow our, let's bow our heads together. Evening time evangelism. Oh God, the great evening lights has been shining now for some time. We've seen you comb down through these aisles here, bringing those who are just shadows of men and women, eat up with cancer, blinded, sick and afflicted, doctors from even from males and everywhere giving them up. Now they're sitting here this morning, many of them healthy and strong, not only here but around the world. Women receive their children raised back to life after being dead for hours. Children being killed on the road with automobiles, pronounced dead and laid out, not a sound bone in them in a minute's time be walking down the road praising God. Yes, Lord. You're God. 
The evening time is here. The evening evangelistic seeds have been sown, Father. And now it looks like it's kind of getting a crippling time. Many of these, when you first come on the scene back there in your dispensation, all of them, that young prophet of Galilee, well, they all rallied around you, but when you begin to strike at them and tell them of their creeds and and, uh, things, then they departed from you. You had to stand alone, and finally they took you to Calvary. It looked like they had won. It looked like their, their great intellectual group had defeated the cause of God. But, oh no, on Easter morning, the earth had a nervous chill. The grave opened up, and the Son of God arose. He had the keys of death and hell. He had the baptism of the Holy Spirit with any rights to give, and he told his church, go up there to Jerusalem, and you wait, and I'll stand it up on you, and then you witness me till I come back again. And then you stood and told him how the time would be, and here we are in the end time. Lord, come riding in again, won't you, Father? We're getting tired, wore out. Man has turned us down from everywhere. The denominations is all thumbs down. In California, there are them precious saints standing out there crying. Forty churches, and that one leader stood up and said, Well, if he baptizes using the name of the Lord Jesus, we don't want him. And turn the gospel to them poor hungry people. And Father, I said, Come meet me with the Scripture. And he wouldn't do it. Why, he knows better. Father, why, why did the heathens rage and the people imagine the vain thing? Truly, by stretching forth the hand of thy holy child, Jesus, to heal the sick and show signs and wonders of the end. Amen. It's repeated, Lord. I pray for them. God, don't let them be cast away. There are many of them good men in there yet. Grant, Lord, that they'll see and come out. Yeah. In our little congregation this morning, Father, we don't know the hearts of the people. Thou dost. This little group here, I'm going right out there anyhow. And now before we leave the church, Lord, this little group that's sojourning here, they're pilgrims. They don't profess to be of this world, Lord. They're strangers. They've been born again. They're new creatures. They've come from the things of the world to serve God, knowing that you covet not this world's vain riches that's so rapidly decayed. We've got our hopes built on things eternal. They'll never pass away. Heavenly Father, if there by chance would be one or more among us this morning that has never had a feeling like they should make that turn, I pray you speak to their hearts at this time. May they sweetly and humbly in their hearts just surrender all to you and say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. I do not want to die in the state that I'm in now, and not knowing it, I'll live even through the day. Then isn't it foolish to waste my time upon worldly things, and everything here will perish, and the people will perish with the world. But God, the Eternal Father, cannot perish, neither can His people. May they accept it now, our Heavenly Father. Sanctify these handkerchiefs laying here for the sick and afflicted. They said they'd taken from the body of Paul, handkerchiefs and aprons. Evil spirits went from them. Hey. Heal the sick that's in our midst this morning. 
I pray that there will not be a feeble person among us. May the great Holy Spirit move across the audience now. And may everyone realize his presence. And as I quoted at the beginning, when a storm is coming up in a dry summer, the winds have been parching and hot, the dust has been blowing, but all at once we can hear thunder, we can see the cloud arising, and as I said, the red signal's down, he's coming. And we feel the cool breeze, the welcoming of the Holy Spirit as it moves across our parched places. Help us today. Save the lost. Fill with the Holy Spirit, or quickly before the lights go out, or the signal's already down. The old ship of Zion's in the blocks now. And it isn't going to be long until she'll be calling, and all of a sudden they'll have a newspaper out. What happened? Hundreds of people across the nation has disappeared. Oh, God, then it's too late for the rest of them. The rapture has come. The judgment will strike the earth. The righteous will be gone. Then they'll go to the graveyards and say, Well, wasn't, did they open this grave? Well, what's happened here? Oh, that one who trusted in God that died years ago will done be gone. Then, oh, what a weeping and wailing when the lost are told of their faith. They'll cry to the rocks and the mountains. According to the scriptures, pray, but prayers are too late. May it not be so with any who are present today here. And while we have our heads bowed, our hearts bowed, too. I'm a very odd person about inviting people to altars. I believe it's not apostolic doctrine. I believe right where you're sitting, you make your decision whether you really want to live or die. I believe it's up to you. And if there's someone here that didn't never before uh, really see it just that way and realize the hour that we're in, and you'd just like for me to remember you in prayer that you want to become a Christian and you want to uh, be a Christ-like in your life and be ready for his coming. Would you just raise your hand around where the building? The Lord bless you, bless you, bless you, you, you. God bless you back there in the back. Bless you down here. That's fine. God bless you, young lady, right at the crossroads of life, sister. That's a great decision. You might have done a lot of great... God bless you, Dad. Yes, you might have worked a many hard day in your life, too, and raised a little kitty. Mom, you sitting by her? Oh, God. Maybe you've raised your family and done many great things. Patted the little baby's cheeks when it was crying. Rocked the cradle with your little young hands, and now they're old and feeble. You might have rocked the baby and done a many good things, but the best thing you ever done is when you raised your hand. Man. Um, Excuse me, please. Um, Our Heavenly Father, you've seen the hand. You know what was behind them. Now they're trophies of this meeting. They're trophies of the message. You said, all that the Father has given me will come to you. And no man can come except my Father draws him first. And you spoke to this people. And they were sitting there. And according to science, they could not... Their hands are supposed to stay down because gravitation holds them down. But they broke and defied the laws of science. They got a spirit in them that raised the hand. That's contrary to science. Because a spirit in there can break science. And they raised their hand because there was a spirit of God around them that said, You're, You need Christ. And they raised up their hands, Remember me, O Lord. As the dying thief on the cross said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. 
And what did you say to him? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And I pray, Father, that this very day that you'll take into your kingdom, into your fellowship here on earth, every one of these believers, and be kind to them. Jesus, you said when you're here on earth, in St. John 5, 24, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me has eternal life and shall not come to the judgment. They'll not be there when the judgment strikes the earth, but they have passed from death unto life. You promised it, Lord. I claim them. And now to all that raise their hands and even those who in their heart believe that they should and didn't, I give them to you this morning, Father, as trophies of the grace of Jesus Christ and of his word which we've preached this morning. They are yours. Keep them safely, Lord, until that day. And may they grow as babes. May the waters here in the pool find them as they confess your sins, dying out, being buried in Christ, to raise again to a new life, to walk in a new world, walk with new associates, walk in new company, walk with angels, walk in the presence of the supernatural, them things that they can't see around them, but they feel and know that they're there. They're the lasting things. The supernatural is the lasting. We give them to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sorry to have kept you a little over time, and I'm sure that you, you feel good. Now, the meeting, sometimes I have to cut and squeeze. Now, to you that raise your hands and believe on the Lord Jesus, they'll have baptismal service, I suppose, this evening. Uh, yes, I think the pools are filled. If you want it right now, and the robes and so forth are ready. If you desire to be baptized right now, anytime, we're only here to do it. And now, after cutting and sawing, we, we thank you, strangers within our gates, to come to the fellowship with us this morning around the Word of God. We appreciate you coming. The Lord bless you. So glad you were here. I see a friend of mine sitting back in the building here I haven't seen in a long time. I don't even know the boy's name. He's a good friend of mine. He's a cousin to a girl that I used to go with, Marie Francisco. I can't think of who his name is. Would you raise your hand? We're glad to have you sitting there. God bless you. That boy's been a Christian for many years. And I'm uh, my friend here, Jim Poole. How many have ever heard me mention Jim Poole, the boyhood friend, his son and wife? And Donnie, um, I can't think of his last name. Gar? Nar. Donnie Gar and his uh, lovely little wife here. They were up home yesterday to visit me. So glad to have them in this morning. And... Um, I believe this is a strange brother sitting right here, but Brother Wade, and also right here, maybe I'm wrong, and I, sometimes I forget faces, and I'm glad to have all of you in here this morning. And now, before we leave, after the cutting and you know, the Bible said the Word of God, like that decision, making a stone, but you have to have a stone cutter to cut that out to make it shape, see? And Hebrews, the fourth chapter, said, The Word of God is sharper and more powerful than a two-edged sword. It cuts, circumcises, it cuts off the serpent. Even a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, the Word of God, and it cuts. Now just for worship, let's just sing my favorite little old song, one of my favorites. I love him. I love him. How many really loves him? I don't care whether you're a Christian or not. You say, I love him because he first loved me. Let's sing it together now, all together. I love him. I love him.
you love that? Let's sing it again. What do you do? Shake hands with somebody around you. Don't get up. Just say, God bless you, brother. Somebody around you. So you, everybody feel real welcome. That's our welcome here at the tabernacle from me, each one of you. All right. I love you. They should take up a serpent or drink a deadly thing, it should not harm them. For an accident or a blow up, it shall not harm them. They lay their hands on the sick, they shall recover. We just wait a minute, see if some interpretation comes for this. If the strangers are in our gates, we're waiting to see what the Lord will say to us through this message. Thank <laughs> you. 
the interpretation of what this man said to the person who heard my idea. The Spirit happens often in the tabernacle, giving a message to the people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, not knowing someone somewhere that you spoke to a heart somewhere and it called back again, even in the closing message, it said, call them your children because you had called them and maybe they had just fixed to walk away without receiving you. This, the message comes again. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will grant a great portion of your spirit upon whoever the person may be. You never called their name. You just spoke. And so, Father, maybe that's the way you want it. And we just pray, Father, that your will be granted to this person or these persons, whoever they may be, that it may be coming down to a, a final call. I pray, Father, that it's not. But this morning, if they will receive it and believe with all their heart that they have heard the message as you have spoken and said, and then may they receive it with cup up to receive the Spirit. May they rise and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins and be sweetly filled with the Holy Spirit and led into a life of service and happiness. I commit it to you now, Father, in the congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Those messages sometimes speak to someone. We don't know who they are. Sometimes they tell who they are. But there's someone in here that maybe just started to move away without it. And when you do, remember that's the Holy Spirit speaking to a language. And it just takes some inspiration, the same that spoke it, the same to interpret it. I remember what I just got to reading. These signs shall follow them that believe. See, that's the midst of believers. We don't believe that all people have to do that. We believe that it falls in the church amongst people. Sometimes people come here, never heard of such a thing before. And the Holy Spirit fall upon them and give a message and heal people. It's sitting there dying with cancer and all kinds of diseases. And they go right back again. It's the Holy Spirit among his people. Do you love him? Yeah. Amen. I love him too. We're hoping to see you tonight. And now, Brother Neville, I'll turn the service to Brother Neville, our pastor. Now.